Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I was all excited to come in here and say I hit all the buttons correctly, but I forgot the uh, damn overlay. I was doing oh, so, boo, boo, so boo, good. Boo, boo. I, I'd rerun it, but I don't want to spare the 30 seconds of Jacob screaming about people on Twitter. So <laughs> in order to That's jump so cute in, that you said about instead of at. I feel like I've been doing more screaming at people on Twitter. Well, here, here, I mean, it's just me. And I, I'm not That's going true. after you on Twitter. But as always, I am you. not your host, but I'm still Billy. You can find me on Twitter at BigBillyFF. We're missing Tom. He, uh, he kind of fell sick this last week. Uh, he's currently dealing with something. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. Uh, he came down <laughs> with a little bit of COVID. But wishing him all the best. He actually came in and set up everything, like mom leaving $20 on the table so that I wouldn't mess up and not order a pizza. Uh, he made sure everything went well. And for the most part, I think I did pretty damn okay. But once again, I'm your host for today, Big Billy FF. Uh, my fun fact of the week is the fact that I get to be the first person live on a podcast, I believe, to congratulate Mr. Jacob Sanderson Aww. at crossing the 10,000 Twitter follower mark. Congratulations, bud. Aww, and you're already thanks, a third Billy. of the way to 11K. Look at you. Thanks, Billy. I Man, I, I spent a lot of, I spent way too much of my time on Twitter, especially in the mornings when I, I need to get quicker starts going. But today I made the best decision of my life, which was I quote tweeted something from Dwayne McFarland about Rashad Penny. And then he took it upon himself to be like, everyone should follow Jacob. Great guy, great analysis. And he got me 500 followers within an hour. <laughs> um, and that took me over 10K. So shout out Dwayne, uh, former uh, former guest on Dynasty Intervention. Really, really fantastic follow. Um, and uh, and really good guy. So I appreciate that. It's crazy. Um, you know, everybody knows our, our story at this point, obviously, that, you know, we basically started this as a podcast for nine other people in our league. Um, it's very strange that, that 10,000 people followed me on Twitter. I, I can't imagine the people that just started today. Uh, cause well, honestly, probably one of the most active days of all time, um, <laughs> on the app. I mean, just news breaking left and right. And like, for the most part, just nonstop, like good news, either like major FUD on players that I hate good news on players that I love. I've never, I feel like I've ran so pure on meaningless training camp blurbs today. Yeah, we were. Uh, we decided that uh, me and Jacob were just going to wing it today. We kind of had a had an idea picked out, but uh, apparently Jacob's just making the content for us by <laughs> getting oh, in heated arguments for uh, for the, our entertainment. Well, let's so, let's get through the news, right? Because I mean, we, yeah, this is the yeah, first yeah. In what six months we've had fucking news? <laughs> yeah. Well. So it seems like everything happened today. I want to jump in and say. Uh, best of luck, Chris Carson. That that one oh, was really sad to hear. Sad a phenomenal news. career to come up from a late round draft pick and become one of the better running backs in the league. Mm -hmm. Great to hear. Uh, I know the Julio no news is something we may need to talk about a little later because Jacob is upset about it. Uh, so anything Fine. else we want to touch on today before we jump into that? Well, let, let's let's like quickly. I just want to make our little list of topics that we need to cover today that was news. And then, then we can figure out what order. But Julio signing plus Godwin not on pop. So two major things in the Tampa Bay receiver room. We've got uh, at least 
to me personally, the biggest news, which was finally Kyle Shenaniganahan uh, putting to rest uh, all of the Jimmy G rumors and coming out saying that they've officially moved on to Trey, that he will be their starter. Um, so that's that's big news. Otherwise, we got all the players that have opened up on the pop list. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Julio? Do you want to start with Lance? Do you want to start with any injuries? Anybody I, else? I I feel like just in terms of pure actual fantasy news, we need to talk about Trey Lance. Like, it, yeah, as yeah. much as we want to laugh about Julio, and you know, I'm pissed he didn't go to the Packers. I know it doesn't matter. I just pray you guys take Will Fuller, please, please. please. I, I really would have liked to see him go to the Packers. The Packers are going to take Will Fuller, then trade him to the Browns after the six game suspension is up. My um, issue with Fuller, I've heard, I've heard from a source that talked to Deshaun Kaiser, uh, Will Fuller's college quarterback that Will Fuller just hates the cold. Um, and that's why he's <laughs> refused to sign with Green Bay last year, is that they offered him a contract, but he doesn't like to live in, in the cold climate. So he can play, uh, like, September and o- October in Wisconsin. Right, I mean, it's anyway. cold. Do, don't get November me wrong, regardless. it's cold. But, but it'll, it'll be, like, fall weather. You know, if he keeps some hand warmers in his pocket, he'll be okay. He'll be okay. But, I, I mean, the Trey Lance news is probably, just in terms of fantasy, the most important because you can make a strong argument to say that receiving that Trey Lance news makes him a top seven quarterback in fantasy. And I think you can make an almost just as strong argument to put him in the top five or four. Like it's a lot comes from that news. And first off, rest in peace, Jimmy G. Uh, I hope he finds a place to start because having having Jimmy Garoppolo any given Sunday in our lives, it's just yeah. fun to watch. Like yeah. it, it's fun to have him around. The leagues can tilt about the fact that he's not going to start anywhere or that he's overthrowing wide receivers. I miss the opportunity of Jimmy overthrowing DJ Moore, but that just means we get Baker. So I'm just as excited for that when Tom gets his voice back to scream. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy's an incredibly entertaining quarterback to watch because, like, nobody is both simultaneously conservative while also continually putting the ball into harm's way. Like, watching Jimmy in the playoffs, especially because his shoulder was fucked, so he was, like, even more sketchy than usual. And, like, watching Jimmy lead, like, the lead. Uh, I think they got a defensive touchdown. But watching Jimmy, like, facilitate the fourth quarter comeback against the Green Bay Packers, like, on that game-winning drive, and it's like, he's just handing off, handing off, handing off, and then he's, like, dropping back in the cold. He's just floating these, like, five-yard passes over the middle. Like, it was just, it felt like you you were just, like, having a, I think Ben Solak tweeted out, it was like, I've never done cocaine, but I imagine it feels like something like watching Jimmy lead this fourth quarter drive, and it's like, yes, like, that is exactly true. Still to this day hurts, but you know what? I'm looking forward to the Packers blowing it in the NFC Championship game this year. It's gonna be a great time. Get there, but Trey Lance, Trey, Trey area. It it is it is a special time to know we're going to get to go into the year with no doubts about it. Trey Lance is the absolute starter, and I think Jacob, both you and me have been saying this the whole time, is this was always the plan. He sits, maybe he comes in a little bit early if he impresses in camp, but sits for a year, comes in next year. This is his team. They are fully set up around him. And I, I, I'm excited. I mean, it's another Konami code quarterback, as Twitter likes to say. It's another running quarterback that has every opportunity 
to probably not be Lamar Jackson, but he could be Kyler easily. Like, I think there's a lot of good here, and there's a great team around him. So just run down the 49ers real quick. How do you feel about Trey Lance? Yeah, I mean, in fantasy, it's, it's everything that we want, right? Like, we should be allowed to get really excited about Trey Lance. Um, we were all excited about him last year, and we've had to wait for so long. And, like, fantasy football is fun, and he's, he's a fun – he's going to be a very fun part of it. His rush rate last year was obscenely high. He had a 30% designed rush rate. That is – um, you know, really tiny sample, of course, but to put into perspective just how high that was, I was listening to Mike Leone and, and Ben Gretsch's uh, projection show on the NFC West on my uh, bus ride home from work to prep for this topic. And uh, Lamar Jackson in his 2019 season at a 23% designed rush rate, right? So that's like 1.25 times higher than Lamar Jackson's MVP season. Lamar then comes down into around 17, 19% range. We see Kyler, Josh Allen, you know, closer in between 10 and 15%. So there's like a lot of room for Trey Lance's small sample rush rate to regress and still be among the highest in the league. And what we've generally seen with these Russian quarterbacks, Kyler, Josh Allen, Lamar, Jalen Hurts, Cam Newton, Mike Vick, you name it is that their highest rush percentage seasons, both in terms of scramble rate and especially in terms of designed rush rate, come in their first season. Um, and then it usually tends to come down from that, like their first full season uh, as a starter. So I think that this is the year where it's different than with a lot of quarterbacks where, you know, it's like, oh, this, this, do we want to buy in this early? You know, he's too young. With a lot of these Russian quarterbacks, their best fantasy season is one of their first couple fantasy seasons because that is when they rush the most partially because they probably aren't as developed as a passer yet, but that's fine. I think there's two different discussions around Lance. One is what will Lance do for Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle? And I think that there are absolutely worlds where Lance is a really good pick and those three aren't, or two of those three aren't. But in terms of Lance individually, I mean, it's very, very easy when you think about how often he ran in terms of his design rate. And then you think, how often the San Francisco 49ers run anyways, right? Kyle Shanahan wants to run the ball. Then you think about how creative he is at designing running plays in general. Like he's going to have a really, really high volume rushing role. I think it's entirely possible that you can project between 150 to 200 carries and quarterback rushing is always going to be more efficient than running back rushing. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we see him up around 750, 800, 850 yards just rushing. Um, and, and for that reason, yeah, I think he's legitimately in the conversation this year going like right behind Hurts in that mini pocket with like uh, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow, and Tom Brady. Um, I think that that's a totally fair price on Lance. I, I would take him probably the highest. Uh, out of those guys, to be entirely honest, just based on the upside that he possesses. Um, well, and in Dynasty, I mean, I think, yeah, after, after the elite quarterbacks are gone, like, he has the clearest path. Him and Hurts have the clearest path of, of going into that top five, top six, and he's the one that was drafted third overall. So it, I, I love the fact that you brought up Jalen Hurts because it feels like last year Jalen Hurts was the sleeper of Twitter. Everyone was like, mm. all right, Jalen Hurts, phenomenal player. He has the best opportunity to be a top five quarterback that isn't being drafted there. And he came out, looked really strong. And the biggest caveat of him going into the rest of this season was what the Eagles were going to do. The Eagles had a bunch of first round picks. And there was a lot of question of if Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the future for the Eagles. And I think the biggest like question that came into Trey Lance this past year was – 
did the did the 49ers actually trade a bunch of first round picks to just play Jimmy Garoppolo? Like you, <laughs> you for for a split second, you, you felt your heart and your neck a little bit. You just think, oh god, Trey Lance isn't gonna pay off. And now it feels like we have Jalen Hurts from last year with the full commitment of the team mm-hmm. and with absolute weapons. I mean, you look around this team, there is nothing but great pass-catching weapons. You have two great wide receivers, a great one and a good one. You have two great running backs. Debo counts for both a great wide receiver and a running back, and Elijah Mitchell. And And, Trey Lance is also their best running back. (laughs) (laughs) And a top three, top five tight end in the league. Like, there is so much around him that just knowing you have the commitment from this team that they are absolutely ready to go full bore. Trey Lance is the guy moving forward. There is so much good news around him. And he looked the part last year in his limited starts. I think you can make a strong argument that if you want to extrapolate his three games where he actually played significant amounts of the game, you can make a strong argument saying he is at least the top three rookie quarterback last year. I think you can make an even stronger argument at number two depending on who you like more in Mac Jones or Davis Mills. But I think Trey Lance in his limited appearances, despite not playing for a year prior to that, like so much good came out of that. And it felt like it kind of just got swept under the rug going into this off season. Cause a lot of people were saying, well, uh, Trey Lance probably isn't going to come in next year, but I think all of that is to say the 49ers made a commitment to this player and they are absolutely honoring their commitment so all the upside takes that we saw a couple years ago when they said trey lance has more upside of a number one overall player than anyone else in this draft all of those arguments i think you can now directly come back and say for trey lance i don't think he's going to end up being a number one overall player in a couple years but i think there's a strong argument to say that moving forward we should be prepared to take him next year as a top seven dynasty super flex draft pick because he's, and he's one so of the guys young. that has a shot at 101 right like when you talk yeah, about he's yeah. probably not gonna be 101 of course he's probably not gonna be 101 but like once you get past the top five it's like who could you who could you say like it's it's even possible that within yeah. two years we're drafting them at 101 like even possible even if it's like two percent chance it's like to me it's like three or four guys like max right yeah. and lance is one of them and that's why when it's like he's being drafted to the ceiling it's like yeah, like he's, he's drafted pretty close to it. He's expensive, but he's expensive for a reason. Like, you know, yeah. Javon, Javante Williams or Najee Harris, like DeAndre Swift, they can't be the 101 in Dynasty. It's not possible, but it is possible that, that Trey Lance is. Yeah, exactly. I think that is the absolute point is there's a couple wide receivers, maybe a tight end or two, depending on your opinions. And if you're playing in tight end premium, I think Trey Lance has the absolute best chance outside of like that top current first round in dynasty Superflex, to be the one Oh one moving forward. And with I mean, that, let's, let's, let's oh. play the game, right? Like, so if we do this, like, sorry to cut you off. If let's no, not play that out. If we were to say who is like the Superflex flex one Oh one in 2024. Um, yeah. I, I love, I love this from Kevin, even if he's close to ceiling from a numeric ranking perspective, he can probably still double his dynasty value. That's like, yeah, yeah, he can. Right. So you think about, you know, it's like, yeah, Lance is, is going high. He's at the one-two turn or early two. But, you know, there's still quite a gap in value between him and, and say, Patrick Mahomes, as, as there should be. He hasn't proven it yet. 
But if I was to try and guess, like, who are the most likely to be the 101 in Superflex Dynasty in 2024? It's like, basically can't be a receiver because it's never a receiver. It, like, yeah. probably can't be a tight end. Maybe if Kyle Pitts is just, like, literally, like, putting up Justin Jefferson seasons, but he gets it at tight end. I think that that's, that's maybe an argument. Yeah. Um, Reese, otherwise, you can probably it's make like, a strong claim for it's, Yeah, it's, it's, it would be, like, the obvious top five quarterbacks, right? Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Kyle Lamar. And then after that, I think, like, it's possible that it's Watson. It's possible Hertz. that it's Brees. It's possible that it's Hurts. It's possible that it's Lance. Um, I mentioned Pitts. I, I think you can make a case. It's like Bijan Robinson. Um, yeah. And maybe after that, Burrow if he like takes a Mahomes step. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But like yeah. again, like I don't know. Is he, he doesn't. Does he run enough? To, I mean, he's great. But it's just it's interesting. Like I would I would say that Lance has a better shot at being the one hundred and one in Dynasty in yeah. two years than yeah. Burrow. To be entirely yeah, I mean, if, I if Lance goes Burrow, out, if Lance goes out and has a like a pat, like a QB twelve season throwing, which I think mm-hmm. is absolutely possible with the team that is built around him, and then you factor in his running, there is every chance in the world 2023, 2024, 2025, we're talking about Lance as the QB one. That's totally possible. I love it. Yeah. What? Um, do you want to talk about Julia? Yeah, I first I'm going to oh. finally cut to this commercial. Oh, good for you. Because I I remember I have buttons and I'm very oh, excited to press them for once. Press those buttons. I have press control. And you know what? I'm going to use that control to use the commercial where I talked. So we're gonna come back and we're gonna make a little bit of money this time. Oh. So we're gonna cut to commercial and then we'll be right back. The sheer level of value he output last year completely offsets anything we care about. Like, you can go look at any metric, and Cooper Cup, just because of the sheer level he was scoring, completely offsets that density we expect to see at the wide receiver position. Whereas, just because Taylor Heineke put up a fantasy season that puts him above, you know, the wide receiver 12, the RB 10, just because he put up that situation doesn't mean we really care about him for fantasy. I am I am very upset that the one button I get to press, my steaming take, the big moment, the big reveal of Billy's genius was me saying Taylor Heineke didn't really matter for fantasy. <laughs> uh, sad moment. But hey, look, as always, we are the Full Tilt Podcast brought to you here by Underdog Fantasy. I got to plug a couple days, or about a week ago, actually, that I made a cool hundred bucks off of Albert Pujols. Ooh dominating that home run derby and putting Kyle Schwerber out of his misery. A beautiful moment. Jacob, I know you've been doing a bunch of best ball mania, a little bit of puppy All I do, I just live, I live in the Pomeranian. My phone is starting yeah. to overheat. From how much, I, I was how very much excited with the, the Pomeranian coming out. But look, you keep saying it's always a surprise how fast a lot of these drafts fill up. I mean, the puppy is now what? Pushing. The Pomeranian lasted six hours to fill 15,000 entries. It's a monster. It's gotten to the point where every time I get a notification that I'm like, we, we got to get in there. But look, Underdog Fantasy, go out there, sign up. Full Tilt Dynasty, uh, using our promo code, will get you matched up to $100 on your first deposit. Make sure you go sign up and get winning some money this year because I am so excited for fantasy football on Underdog Fantasy this year. And... Real quick, before I let the chains off Jacob to talk about Julio, because I know he's excited. 
I do real quick have to plug the Full Tilt Discord because we got a really fun thing going on right now. We are having a, sorry, I'm pulling up sleeper as I go. We're having a giveaway right now, a Full Tilt tournament Hmm. where two 12-team leagues are playing and currently drafting. I believe League 2 is drafting. I'm in League 1. Currently drafting for the opportunity to win a Debo Samuel jersey. And I got to say, I'm pretty proud of my team through four four rounds. I got Herbert. I got Pitts. I got Javante Williams. And I got the name himself, Debo Samuel. So, look, if y'all are looking for a fun time this season, if y'all are looking to tilt with the rest of us, during the season and watch our boy full tilt Maddie just scream about stuff in the discord the entire season you better get excited and hop in there the links are in our bios on twitter make sure you get excited come on in we're always excited to have more people in there and with that it's time to hit the next bullet point on the news Julio Jones has signed a contract to come in to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to make them the oldest offense in the league. I don't know if that's true. Don't fact check me. To make them the oldest offense in the league. Paired up with Tom Brady, who, to be fair, any team that Tom Brady is on is the oldest offense in the league. But to be paired up with Tom Brady in what could be his final season. And Jacob had the audacity to go to Twitter and call it trash. Jacob, why don't you come on in and yell about this? I mean, I love, I love the Julio sign because we talked about Russell Gage a couple weeks ago, and with when Roto Pat was on, and I mean, I'm just so it, it brings me such joy to see the people that that like wake up every morning, they do a best ball draft, and in the sixth round of the best ball draft, that they think Russell Gage is like the way to spend that pick. I think those people deserve what's coming to them, quite frankly, and so I, I'm, I think that's glorious. As for what Julio will do this year, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm like somewhere in the middle. I'm the takes on Julio are wide ranging, is what I would say. So like I hop into the Discord and I see that Drew, guest from a couple weeks ago, says that Julio Jones will post a 20% walk in to a 20% target share and has top five upside. Then I see on Twitter people being like, not even worth a third round pick in Dynasty. Um Russell Gage is going to play over him or not play over all over the place where I'm at on Julio is I don't think he's like quite as washed as we might think. Like, I don't think he's like AJ green level washed. Um, I would say with Julio, what we've seen over the last two years is his target drawing has atrophied in consecutive years. He used to be a guy that was of course among the lead leaders in targets per route run he fell down to a 24% target rate uh, in 2020, then down to a 21% target rate in 2021. Uh, of course, last year, he also had his routes uh, reduced, mostly because he continually was getting injured uh, while playing games. And then when he came back, he wasn't at full health, so he was getting his routes managed. So he finishes with a 50.9% target share. As Ferris mentioned, PFF score is, is solid. Um, I think with Julio... Like, it's clearly that he's not what he was, but it's hard to, for me to, to take away, like, whether or not he's declining or injured, because I feel like it's kind of inextricably linked. You might say, well, he's not actually declining, he was just hurt, but also him being hurt all the time is kind of why he's declining. Yeah. Um, like, so 
one thing that I saw from Adam Hutchinson is that on average, hamstring injuries have a 25% reoccurrence rate. And his recurrence rate over the course of his career has been 70%. So when he gets one, it tends to linger in, in a pretty unique way. And I don't think that that's something that gets better when you turn 33 or, or 34, coming off multiple years of these nagging soft tissue injuries. So I think what makes sense for them, if I was to project what will happen, is that they want to use Julio smartly as a team that's going to make the playoffs as a veteran player who they know is having injury concerns. They were managing AB snaps pretty regularly. He was only ever playing in three wide receiver sets. He was often only running about 70, 75% of the routes. Now they have Gage, who, you know, I made fun of earlier, but he's a competent NFL player. He's a professional wide receiver. He can play. They're going to have Julio. Evans obviously is there, and Godwin sounds like he's playing week one, which I think is actually the most notable news coming out of Tampa today, mm -hmm. more than anything with Julio. Uh, how many snaps is Julio playing? I, I doubt that Julio is playing more than 55 to 65% of the snaps. I think he'll be rotating in as an outside wide receiver. Um with with Evans and Godwin sometimes Gage will rotate into that and then sometimes with Gronk on and with them having some pretty dusty tight ends they might run more 10 personnel sets and they'll have Julio and Evans on the outside and Gage and Godwin in the insides so my point is I think that's what's modal and I think in that scenario it doesn't really matter that much for fantasy I, I will say like if you're doing a best ball league I would take him in like round 10 round 11 for sure I mean his upside is high if Mike Evans had a 16.4% target share last year. He was a top 10 wide receiver. If they run the same style of offense that they ran last year, where they're throwing 700 times, um, and Julio is seeing 70, 80% of the routes that he gets targeted on 20% of them, well, then he could be a high-end wide receiver too. That's that's totally possible with just how much they pass. Um, and in Dynasty, like certainly I would happily give up a third for him. I don't know if that gets him anywhere, but I'd do it. If I had Julio, I'm catching it a second, but barring that, like I'll just let I'll let it ride, you know? What's the worst that could happen? Plus, isn't it fun to root for Julio Jones? Yeah, a lot of that comes into it. It's just fun to cheer for Julio Jones. I mean, if you want to go back, the last season he put up where you can argue he was good, he was good for fantasy, was 2019. But in that season, he was also the wide receiver three. Like, the, yeah. this is the thing with Julio, and this is also kind of what we know when it comes to wide receivers, is as wide receivers age, they kind of just hit this cliff where it's boom, done. Mm. And that's what's so hard with Julio, is we're now potentially two years beyond this cliff. We saw last year he went to a situation in Tennessee where you have to admit the way Tennessee plays is not very conducive to Julio Jones having a good or season. Anyone. They don't. Yeah. They don't throw the ball a lot. They definitely don't throw down field. Like, uh, it's just not a good situation for Julio. It also didn't help that he was only healthy when Derrick Henry was healthy. Then they mm -hmm. both kind of left at the same time. Like, a lot of that is damaging. I will say, I think the Buccaneers are arguably one of the better places Julio could have gone. I, I think so much of this team is one volume dependence. We know they're going to throw the ball a lot. Brady is going to make sure that ball is in the air on so many plays. I mean, Leonard Fournette is down to 245 now. I don't know if you it's saw true. that sleeper notification. Lynn Lay. They're, they're, they're going to throw that ball a ton. And they don't need to depend on Julio as the offense. Tennessee didn't have to last year, but that didn't matter because they don't throw the ball. Like Ryan Tannehill, bless his heart, is not is not 
uh, is not a throwing quarterback. He he is a game managing quarterback that can occasionally have moments of brilliance, but he is not a volume quarterback, and that does not help with an absolute yeti behind him in Derrick Henry. But all that is completely different here in Tampa Bay. Godwin and Evans are likely going to start week one. Godwin, maybe not, but Evans definitely is. Gage, same situation. Like, they don't have to depend on Julio as the focal point of the offense. I think he can work his way up to a decently good season this year. I don't, I have no illusions where I think Julio Jones is going to be a wide receiver one. I don't think Julio Jones is going to be a wide receiver two. But I think he's getting drafted below a lot of players right now that aren't going to be wide receiver threes or wide receiver fours. Mm. Like, I, I think he's in a situation, and maybe the Buccaneers news changes this, where you can get him at a value, and he's a screaming, I got I got to put someone in flex. Let's throw Julio in. Like, we saw Antonio Brown in this offense almost the exact situation a couple of years ago. I mean, last year even, succeed greatly. Like, I, I think there's such a situation here where if Julio is able to stay on the field and maintain a significant amount of snaps, which I think if Julio is staying on the field, he's going to get those snaps because I still think he's better to good enough to beat out Russell Gage in snaps. I If all of that happens, I think Julio Jones has the upside to put up a high-end wide receiver three, and maybe as I talk about it, I think he can get up to a low-end to middling wide receiver two. Like, I think there's a lot of situations here where things just go good for Julio. But I think a lot of the other questions come into how you expect this may affect some of the other players on the Buccaneers. Like, Mike Evans, for the last, like, two months, has been, in my opinion, the biggest value in fantasy. Just because if everything broke right for his value, I, I think he's a top five wide receiver easy. I mean, there was a situation where Godwin does not play for the first month, the first six weeks of the season, and his biggest competition is Russell Gage. And I'm taking Tom Brady throwing to Mike Evans over Russell Gage any day of the week. Now, we, we have a, kind of a little bit of a different situation. You have a wide receiver who has been shown to be very good when receiving significant amount of targets. If he's able to stay on the field through, say, I mean, he played 10 games the last couple of years. Let's be optimistic and say Julio plays 12. Jacob, how does that affect your opinions on Godwin, Evans, Russell Gage? Well, so I think the bigger thing with Evans, so I think Evans was like, well, weirdly, I think he was kind of undervalued in in, uh, in Dynasty based on where he was being drafted and redrafted. And then also I thought he was overdrafted and redrafted. So I've been in a weird spot with Evans <laughs> where I – so he was being drafted for anyone who's not following. He was being drafted at the wide receiver seven on underdog and, and pretty much dead even with Lamb. So he was like really pushing for wide receiver six on underdog, and he was going in the top 15 overall. Um, I famously have done 121 underdog drafts. I have zero <laughs> shares of Mike Evans, literally not a single share of Mike Evans. So I was obviously taking a pretty firm stand on, on that AP being, being wrong. Um, and finally, on the other hand, I was like actively trying to trade for Mike Evans. And basically my way of looking at it was he's pretty much the same age as Devontae Adams um, and Stefan Diggs, like pretty similar age. And the market is telling me, in my opinion, wrongly, 
But the market is telling me that he's going to score like almost the exact same amount of points as Devontae Adams and Stefan Diggs. And he's going to score more points than Tyree Kill. And he's going to score more points uh, than Debo Samuel. Uh, and he's going to outscore you know, other guys like Deontay Johnson, quite clearly, Metcalf by a lot, apparently, um, you know, et cetera. We yeah. go down the list. So I'm like, well, I don't think he's going to score that many points, actually. So I'm not going to draft him in best ball. But if the market's saying that he's going to score that many points, they're probably not totally, you know, there's some wisdom of the crowds. But I'll just get him in the format where he's a lot cheaper. Uh, so I've been targeting a lot more in, in Dynasty, where he had this big price gap between him and Devontae and, and Stefan Diggs and et cetera. Um, now he's in a tough spot. I think he has a fragile profile. Like I mentioned, Tampa Bay is so different, right? So Mike Evans is one of, and he has been for a while now, but Mike Evans has been one of the hardest possible players to like, a evaluate how good they are. Um, and B try and project because his like, target earning stats which is like normally this the most predictive stat of any stat you can have of fantasy points is target share his target share last year was lower than the following players kenny galladay aj green tim patrick marquez calloway jameson crowder uh robbie anderson cole beasley uh like that's those were guys that had more higher target share than mike evans really weird but they threw 734 times and if you throw 734 times you don't need to have a whole lot of target share to get a whole lot of targets and then you add in okay but mike evans like is he has he regressed in skill you know to the point where that's actually just who he is he's he's now like a mid-teens target share guy in which case you know that's a profile i want to avoid because any regression in target share is going to hit him really really hard but we have other data that says, no, he actually is quite good, right? His route win rates were elite. His reception perception was elite. And so maybe he was just in the situation where Godwin was there and he was so good and AB was so good and Gronk was so good that, you know, nobody can really earn the true target share that they're capable of earning in that situation. And now with those guys gone, you know, he could. So I was just sort of torn up in knots trying to figure out what the hell I should project Mike Evans for. Now I think it's an easier scenario. Chris Godwin's going to be there week one. I would still prefer Evans to Godwin based on the health status. I think Godwin's the better player, frankly, um, or at least better player in terms of fantasy utility. Um, But if he's not healthy right away, I would take Evans. I think Evans should come down to the two, three turn uh, probably in like a redraft format. I think is fair. I think, I think he should project now as like a low twenties target share at best where Godwin's also going to be around that zone. Julio and Gage, some combination of them are going to get some targets. And then Brady always wants to throw a lot to the running back. So Fournette's going to be eating up a lot of targets. And if not Fournette, then Rashad White. Um, and so he's, he projects similar to like a T. Higgins to me, for instance. Um, and when I get two guys that I think project similarly, you know, I, I just prefer to bet on the younger guy with T. Higgins than, than on a Mike Evans. So that's where I've been so, so far below on, on Evans. But in Dynasty, he remains a buy to me because, you know, he is going to be in a good spot. I'm interested to see where his ADP ends up. I'm interested to see where Godwin's ADP yeah. ends up because for, for draft season thus far, Evans has been going in the early two and Godwin's been going in the six in, in redraft formats. Um, I mean, in the Scott Fishbowl, I got Chris Godwin in the ninth, right? Like if Chris Godwin is playing yeah. week one, you. like he's not, he shouldn't be going in the ninth, right? Like probably shouldn't um, be going in the sixth. Right. So how close do you think those two guys should get? Like, where would you look at those two? 
I I think right now, if we were, I I think you can make a pretty compelling argument, and I don't expect you to debate me on this. If Godwin never tore his ACL, there is no reason Evans should be going ahead of him. Right. Like, I think Godwin would be going higher. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think a lot of this comes down to what the hive mind expects. I think Julio, in a very easily takes more away from Godwin than he does mm. from Mike Evans. I, Mike Evans is not a high volume player, the, what you just said, but he can do a lot with what he gets. I mean, the dude has had double digit touchdowns since Brady has come in. He's had 13 yeah. and 14 touchdowns. He's had a thousand yards every year since he came into the league, which is still one of the crazier stats going down right <laughs> now. True. But like, I, I think Chris Godwin is in the speculative wide receiver position yeah. where he is. And we can talk about this later on when we start talking about busts, he is the broadening of that range of outcomes where if he comes back good, Godwin has every opportunity to be a top five wide receiver this year. Mm-hmm. If he comes back, not good. I mean, we're, we're potentially looking at an a Rob situation from last year where we're drafting a guy in the fourth, maybe fifth round, depending on your opinion of him. I mean, Jacob got him in the ninth, but that's that's phenomenal. That's but gone. It, yeah, that, that, that realistically, with him not with him expected to be back week one, I think he's probably going to be landing around the fourth and fourth to fifth. I think a lot of people might be getting too smart for their own good and saying, well, he's injured. He's a volume player. He's not going to be able to get in there. I think if he lands around the fourth and fifth, I think that's a really good situation because there are very few wide receivers you can grab right there who have every opportunity to land at that top position. And there's very, there's also the same amount of wide receivers you can get there that have every possibility to just tumble and be a wide receiver 90 at the end of the year. And I think a lot of that comes down to Chris Godwin which is funny because last year we were saying the exact opposite. Godwin is safe. Mike Evans is a little bit, uh, he's, he's whirly. We don't know where he's going to end up, but you know, the all likelihood they're probably going to end up testing pretty well. I think a lot of this comes down to what you expect from Julio. If you think Julio is going to come in good and we already have gauge, I think that cuts a lot of volume off of Chris Godwin, which hurts i mean that that is how godwin won his wide receiver two season he was phenomenal and he was getting targeted non-stop in a heavily thrown offense i think godwin and evans both have the opportunity to finish as at least wide receiver twos this year i think one of them will likely push into that wide receiver one spectrum but in all likelihood i i think if you can get evans at the two three turn and godwin saying around like early fourth, maybe late fourth to early fifth, I think that's exactly where they probably should be going. Like the the that's level right. of outcomes from Godwin, the the perceived safeness of Evans kind of gives them I mean, if Mike Evans finished as a top five wide receiver, I don't think anyone would really be surprised. Like that Mike Evans hasn't been below a top fifteen wide receiver since twenty seventeen. And then he was a he was the wide receiver seventeen. Like, it, a lot of this comes down to how you define a bust, which we're going to talk later on. I think Mike Evans is pretty close to bust proof as they come, which is terrifying to say 
But barring injury, I think Mike Evans is one of the safer players in fantasy football right now to end the season, at least as a top, like, 15 player at his position. And I think the sign of Julio does a lot more detriment to Godwin than it does to Evans. So before, as I, as I throw that in, Jacob, what do you got on that? Also, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll wrap here. Cause we still want to talk about the, the other topics of the show today. We're not only doing news. I uh, expect to be back week one. Is that a multiple? <laughs> That's how I'm interpreting it. Uh, I mean, you can certainly interpret it how you like. Um, yeah. I, my, my interpretation of, of him not being on the pop and already practice already being cleared to practice. It's July 26th. They don't play till September 11th. Uh, that gives him, 42 that gives him 48 days until week one and he's yeah. already practicing um i i would i would say i'm like i would bet 75 percent that he's playing week one something like that um, yeah barring, barring like a setback, a setback like yeah. i think barring barring a stated setback i would be i would be betting certainly in favor of him playing week one um you never know but if he's already practicing i think how effective he'll be who knows um, yeah. You know, whether he'll be playing half the snaps first week or 100% of the snaps first week, I, I don't know that either. But um, I, I would be pretty surprised if he's not on the field. Um, that, and we, we have seen this. Like, I think last year, last year the ACL guys sucked. Like, it was it was OBJ and it was Corlin Sutton. And I think that that's made people a little bit more bearish on ACLs. Um, Cooper Cup, like, was the wide receiver five off of a November ACL tier three years ago. Right? So these things have a wide range of outcomes to them. Uh, it's not a death sentence um, at all. You can you can have a really massive season return to play on a torn ACL, or or you can be a total dust ball. It can really go either way. Last thing I'll just say is I think the one element of fragility that isn't talked about enough in this offense is that Tom Brady is 44 years old and was retired. Um, and like for the math to work on these guys with how often they throw the running backs and how much they might even be in 10 personnel this year, for the math to work out on these guys where they're drafted. Like their target shares don't support it. It has to be this high volume, high efficiency pass attack. Yeah. And it probably will be, but I, I do want to bake in like some level of risk that Tom Brady is in fact mortal. He's really old. Um, and I, and I just think that it's, it's not, I don't know how, what percentage of the range of outcomes it is, but I, I think it's like in the range of outcomes somewhere that, that all of a sudden, like one day, it's just not happening anymore for Tom. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin anyone's night with that thought, but it's like that, that just stays very much in my mind when we're talking about a team where the wide receiver prices are so reliant on such outlier pass volume and efficiency from a 44 year old. I mean, the dude retired two months ago. So I, I don't I think you're really, you're really, I don't think you're breaking any news on that one. Eventually it's got to happen. But look, as Jacob said, we did not come here to only talk about news. We're going to take a very quick break. This time I'm going to play the one where Jacob talks oh, to, yeah. you know, even things out. And uh, we're, we're going to come back and we're going to break down probably one of, the, one of the more important aspects of fantasy football. We're going to talk about bust. We'll be right back. The sheer level of value he out. Wrong one! There's a phrase that um, I believe it, it started as from Jordan McNamara, but a lot of people have said it now, which is don't buy wide receivers on credit. This is something that I've I very newly brought in. I like that. I would not have done this like a year ago, but don't buy wide receivers on credit essentially means like don't pay future draft picks for future wide receiver production, right? So when we think about the, what is the value oh, of Oh, I Brown, like that. Or whoever. We can use any wide receiver. Let, I'll use A.J. Brown, right? His... 
his total value is an amalgamation of what we think he's going to do this current year and then what we think he's going to do in the future years. Hey, everyone. When Tom is back next week, we're not going to tell him I hit the wrong one. Besides that, I've been a phenomenal host. This is our little <laughs> secret. Okay? That, thanks, Jacob. I appreciate that. But look, we are here. You have such you a are... warm host voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love to hear it. Look, we're here to bring everyone down and talk about arguably the worst thing that can happen to you when drafting a player in fantasy football. We're here to talk about busts. We, we were given this prompt. We were hoping to have Tom on because Tom is the best at tilting at, at just the absolute defeat of busts. But, but before we go in and talk about this debate a little bit more, Jacob, I want to quick get your definition of exactly what mm. a fantasy football bust is to you. Man, so the first thing I would say is that it is entirely dependent on the league format that you're in. But I have like, so I have like a very expansive definition of bust, um, <laughs> which is most players, um, which is like, which kind of influences how I draft. And essentially like what I would call a bust, at least in the, in, in any format is a player whose percentile outcome hit in a given season has a material increase to the percentile outcomes you need to hit on your other player selections. And All so right, in English this time, essentially what that means is like, if you start something like a 12 person league with an 8% chance to win and your goal is to win, which means obviously your end, your end goal is to have a hundred percent chance to win. Like you need each player to not just be neutral, but you need each player to get you closer to a winning outcome. Um, and so it's sort of the same thing of like, if you need to make up 20 hours of overtime at work, right. And you're just working eight hours every day. Um, you know, you're not actually getting any closer. You're not getting any further. So in fact, you're actually putting more pressure on you to work more hours in later days to make that time up. And so this is why, like, I really despise the idea of like, be ADP because I think that normally when people think of like busts, it's like Alan Robinson last year where it's like, okay, like we drafted this guy really highly and he was just totally unstartable, you know, or Brandon Ayuk or whatever. And, and especially the guys that aren't injured, like Robinson and Ayuk are probably the two that didn't have an injury that stick out. It's like guys that were drafted to be an every week starter that were like almost an every week, not starter. Um, I, I think that that's, probably true to a point but i think that it doesn't necessarily capture how you should be drafting and that's that like most players are not helping you win right like a yeah. player who's just at or around their adp that's not helping you win it's just a wasted opportunity spot to get someone who does help you win because as we talked about last week when we we're talking about vorp and value of replacement fantasy football is played on a power law distribution it's one that goes like this which is that the players at the top help a lot a lot a lot and then the players that are here don't really do a whole lot of anything and so i'm less concerned with massive busts than going into a draft than i am with players who don't have 
an opportunity to provide a massive ceiling. And so to me, a bust is like anyone who is not a material contributor to winning, which is, I guess, defines like probably 85% of your picks as busts. But I just think that that's like the way that I want to communicate it because I think that that's the way that, at least in my view, becomes more actionable in terms of how you um, are able to win leagues. But I'm curious on your thoughts because I imagine it's probably a very different uh, notion than, than necessarily than what. Yeah, so before I dive into my view on the topic, I, I put this Twitter poll out months ago. I wish I, I wish I remembered when I put it out. But I'd ask the question, what percent of fantasy football do you view as luck? Like, ju just inherently, Jacob Sanderson, what percentage of this game, this goofy little game we play, do you view as just pure luck? Oh, man. So that's a hard question. And it is. I, I know you I probably wanted me to really respond to the numbers. To so, I, okay, I saw this really interesting back and forth between, uh, uh, I don't even know his last, Liam Murphy, uh, um, Chess Liam on Twitter, the winner of Best Ball Mania 2, and James Brumacombe at Eagles with like a bunch of Zeds uh, on Twitter. And they were talking about sort of the same idea, but specific to Best Ball tournaments, what percentage of winning is luck. And I feel like there's a difference between luck and chaos. So I, well, think yes. that, I think that like a lot of fantasy football is chaos, but I'm not sure that like as high of a percentage is luck as we think. Like, I think that there's a lot, I think a lot of fantasy football is putting yourself in a position to benefit from chaos and to mitigate, um, like to mitigate downward chaos and to benefit favorable from ca favorable chaos. And I feel like that's really what's under our control. Um, so what percentage is luck? I guess that's the percentage of like whether or not the chaos plays out in our favor. And it's probably like 80%. But I, I still feel like when we put it that way, it's the idea that there's like a, a pot and you like mix it and it's like 20% pour in some skill and 80% pour in some luck. And it's like you can get there on all luck with no skill. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. Like I think that what skill is, is it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. Um, so that's my way too long answer. All right. You, you kind of dove into what I, what I wanted to say is I view luck as a hundred percent chaos in this situation as cha chaos is fundamentally the stuff we can't control. If we just played a season, none of us were here. None of us talked about this. This stuff would still happen. And if we just took players at their draft position, it, it would be decided by just the world itself. You know, my third round pick doesn't matter because he tore his ACL in week one. My <laughs> chaos is a ladder. Very well said. A beautiful book series, a horrible show. A horrible end of a show. I yeah, it was great credit. for six seasons. Yeah, well, a horrible end of the show. But so much of this comes down to the fact that what, what I wanted to say here is I view average draft position as a spectrum. And what we are betting into is how high or low we can go on that spectrum. Or a ladder. We'll play the ladder. This is, this is great. The, whoever's running TNFF right now, thank you so much for giving that was me, me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well. Damn. All right. Let's talk. <laughs> I was hoping that was someone that a viewer. 
Uh, I'm a viewer. Not setting. I'm just also hey, a yeah. speaker. Yeah, you're, you're watching. I have it on the screen. Uh, so, so much of your ADP is you buying into a stake of this player performing here. And there are a lot of smart people that are contributing to ADP. I mean, every fantasy analyst who drafts on, on Sleeper, every like Joe Schmo from your work league that drafts on Sleeper, and every person who listens to every fantasy podcast in the world that drafts on Sleeper is contributing to that physical number. And so much of it comes into your want to be able to buy into that position. And we talk a lot about asymmetrical upside and, you know, an even, a wide range of outcomes, like va- various different terms we all say. And I think all of that is overlaid on that ADP position is when you buy a player at round four, you expect them to return the whatever that math is, 38th best player at that in, in the draft the 40th best player in the draft. But what you want to draft in and what your luck is, is what's establishing where that player can go from that position. Mm. Because everyone in the world thinks that they belong at this spot. And that's why they're getting drafted there. But luck determines if they're going to, you know, break out and become that number one player that everyone thinks they will or they're going to drop and just fall down into the region we determine as bust. And I think you kind of articulated what I wanted to say is that a bust is fundamentally a player that doesn't help you win. Like a a lot of it comes down to, we, we can play the game and say, you know, I drafted a player in round four who was the hundredth best player in the league. And because of that worthless, they're an absolute bust. They did nothing for my team. But I think fundamentally that doesn't really help you because so much of it, a lot more comes down to, well, I drafted this player in the fourth round and they, you know, helped me win a little bit or they, you know, produced as a round four player. But a lot of fantasy production does not come from round four, round five, round six players. A lot of fantasy production comes from round four, round five, round six players that break out and move up into those higher levels. Mm. So when you're taking players in those middling rounds, if you go out and draft a player who in no fundamental way just is a safe player at those further levels, say, you know, a sixth round player who you wholeheartedly expect to be a sixth round player, that is not like fundamentally their best option is a bust in that situation. Because the best thing they can do is produce exactly for the value you input. And that's fundamentally not good for your team. Like a lo- And a lot of this is why nailing some of these early round picks are so important. Because if you bomb your round one and round two picks, the odds, I mean, last year, let, let's just go last year. Say you took Mahomes early and... Kittle, Kittle, good good player, had some really good games, didn't really do a whole lot besides that. You took Mahomes and Kittle. Both of those were really good players, but did not produce as those superstar players that you wanted them to. And because of that, I mean, just because you kicked on those rounds 
but nailed round four, round five, round six. All those players produced at their exact level. You're not, you're probably not making the playoffs. Like you can go look at teams right now. And it is so fun on Twitter to be like, oh, this dude's got Christian McCaffrey and Justin Jefferson. That that's going to be dope. But when you don't have the potential to fill out the rest of those positions with high upside players, you're, you're pretty much have Justin Jefferson, CMC, and a bunch of busts because all you're getting is the value that you put in. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, unless you had a bunch of va- a bunch of assets to trade away and get the same exact value for those assets, that's not helping you. So I, I qualify a bust as a player that just flat out does not perform above their expectations. I, I really enjoyed how you put that, and I, I want to keep extending that. This will be my last point on, on tonight's show. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think, like, I, I wrote about this in my, my piece that came out this week on best ball, but it, it certainly doesn't only apply to best ball, although I think especially, you know, in a tournament format where the upside is even higher, I think this is enhanced. But, like, beating ADP is what I call it. It's a parallel game. Like, it's not the actual game that we play. The game that we play isn't, will this player drafted 62nd overall? finish better or worse than 62nd overall. That's like an indicator of like whether they're a good or bad pick, I guess. Like you'd certainly rather them finish ahead of ADP than behind it. But that's not what we're actually doing. ADP is, you know, like I, I we said chaos is a ladder. ADP is a shadow on the wall, right? Like your 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 price resides where men say it resides. Um, like if you want to draft someone, the ADP is just where you have to draft them, right? You, I think people get way too caught up on ADP and on whether you can beat your ADP when that's not really what's determinative of winning your fantasy league. The reality is, is that the market sets the price. And then if you want that player, that's the price you have to pay or you don't draft that player. It's really just that simple. So I think you should focus way more on the player than the price. Uh, this is basically the, the fundamental part of my article this week is thinking about players in terms of archetypes. What I do first, before I look at price, is I look at archetype. I look at, is this a player that I want to draft? Because do I think this player has the potential at some cost, at any cost, do I think this has, this player has the potential of helping me win my league by being one of those top 20 players, top 24 players, one of those guys that's really integral to winning my league? And then if my answer is yes, then it's about the opportunity cost. Do I think that there are players around them that I think have better odds of that? And if there are, then I'll probably draft less of that player than others. But I'm going to find ways to draft them because I think there's a lot of players that just don't have very good odds at all of, of being those league winner players. And maybe their median is higher. Maybe their projection is higher. Maybe they have a better chance at finishing wide receiver you know, 32 and their ADP is wide receiver 38 but if there's no particular reason to think that they can be a top two round type of talent, like Billy was saying, well then I don't need to draft that player. I, I'll just prefer other options and I'm not going to worry about cost because at the end of the day, your round nine pick performing like a round seven pick is like classifications of irrelevance at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter. It's not really the game that we play. If you think about it from just the day to day life perspective, we don't operate so stringently with accordance to cost in our day-to-day life. And there's no reason that we should in a fantasy football draft. If you're at a ball game, this is the metaphor I used for my article. 
Like, what do you think a beer is worth? Well, it depends. If you're at the liquor store, you're probably paying $250. If you're sitting at home and you have all options available to you, that's probably what you're going to pay, $250. You're going to go to the liquor store and, and, and get one. If you're at a ball game and it's 33 above and the yeah. beer costs $10, well, you're not going to pay $250 for a beer. You're either going to pay $10 for a beer or you're not going to have a beer. Right. And that's like, that's how I would view fantasy ADP. If what you're, if, if you've just already decided, okay, I want a beer. Well, okay. It's too pricey, whatever. It doesn't matter if you're willing to pay it, you can be willing to pay it. And, and I think that that's the same thing with cost. So, you know, it's like a lot of this that I get frustrated. I don't even draft that much Gabriel Davis. I'm under 8% Gabriel Davis in best ball, but I like find myself defending Gabriel Davis all the time. Because it aggravates me so much because I think that the people that are fading him are doing it for the wrong reasons. It's like, oh, I don't think that he can match his round four ADP. Well, I don't really care if he matches his round four ADP or, or not, quite frankly. My ask is, can he produce like a round two level talent? I, I mean, probably not. But like, I just think people are drawing this arbitrary line where his ADP is and then assessing his chances of paying off based on that. I think it's perfectly fine to fade Gabriel Davis entirely. I mean, I'm drafting some of them. If you say I have 0% Gabriel Davis because I think that Deontay Johnson, Jalen Waddell, Ezekiel Elliott, Brees Hall, Darren Waller, pick whatever round four players you want, all have significantly better chances of having major ceilings in in a weekly and seasonal perspective than Gabriel Davis, then that's fine. I I just don't want to hear, I don't want to draft Gabriel Davis because I think Brandon Cooks is going to score like 0.5 more points per game. It drives me up a tree. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really strong take. And I think a lot of this balances as to why I sometimes push back on fantasy Twitter's one of their favorite terms, and that is asymmetrical upside. Asymmetrical upside fundamentally is a really good thing. It means you have a player with a floor that is good, but their range of outcomes does not make it likely that they are going to go below that floor. Like bad situations don't really happen. That means the only place to go is up. But in a lot of those cases, you look at players over the last couple of years, I think Adam Thielen, Robert Woods are perfect discussions of this as potential asymmetrical upside players. You can go right now and look at Robert Woods and look where he's being drafted around players like Russell Gage, Alan Lazard, Chase Claypool. I mean, if I go down a little bit, we're talking about Kadarius Toney, Jamison Williams, Christian Watson. Almost all those players I just listed, I will gladly take above Robert Woods. Because while you may say they all have asymmetrical upside, the most probable situation for Robert Woods, I think, is he's going to land exactly where you draft him. He may go below, you know, he tore his ACL. That that is a legitimate thing. But the most likely situation is he's going to be completely safe and he's going to land exactly where you take him. But you want to go look at people like Claypool. Jamison Williams has the potential if he can get healthy ahead of the season. Alan Lazard has the potential where I think they're going to have similar targets or similar levels of targets at the end of the season. I think Claypool and Lazard easily are going to surpass Robert Woods based on how little that offense is going to throw in Tennessee. But the opportunity of what they're able to do is going to be so much more. It's no, it's moving along from asymmetrical upside and just flattening and moving the curve forward. You have a wider range of distributions, but you still have less opportunity for that distribution 
to land right where you drafted that player. So sure, Alan Lazard has a potential to be worthless this year. He might fall behind Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, week one, not get a lot of targets, and, you know, falls down. There's also the world where Alan Lazard is wide receiver two at the end of the year, like is pushing into those higher positions because of a trust with Aaron Rodgers. There's the potential that Claypool gets a quarterback that can throw further downfield and Claypool starts shining. There's the potential that Jameson Williams comes in and just melts with Jared Goff and has that opportunity to be that rookie wide receiver that produces like an animal his first season. Cause we see that every year there's, those young players who finally get their breakout and move forward. And that's always going to be more valuable than where you're drafting Robert Woods and likely where you're drafting Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen's hard because touchdown luck, but knows for the like, end zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But there there's significantly more like likelihood when it comes to Chase Claypool and Alan Lazard, who I think it's completely fine to draft Robert Woods, Claypool, and Lazard all at the same position. If you're sitting at whatever that was, whatever that would be the mid 10th or something in redraft. If you're sitting in there, you can take any one of those players in the same round, but two of those players have the potential to return round five value round six value. And Robert Woods, I think his ceiling is round eight, round seven value. So at, at what point are you going to be excited to take Robert Woods over some of those other players? Like a bust fundamentally to me is a player that doesn't help your team win. And there's something to be said for constant production. There's something to be said for these blow up games where, you know, you win a week because you have that player. But I think so much of it comes down to say, what player do you expect to be moving up in ADP next year? If you yeah. draft a player this year, and unless they're in the first round, which just makes this point mute because, I mean, it, it has to. If you draft a player in the 10th round this year, and next year they're going in the 10th round, you drafted a bust fundamentally. Yes. Because you drafted a player that did not benefit you and fundamentally didn't benefit himself in the fantasy scape. That's one of my favorite things that Sean Siegel has always talked about in his content is he tries to think of drafting a given redraft year and, and a guiding heuristic of your draft is predicting the future year's ADP, right? Yeah. It's like if I sit down and I write out what I think next year's ADP is going to be, and there's a guy who I think is going to be round one next year and he's in round three this year, I'm taking him every single time, right? Let's skip yeah. the middle step. Let's skip the waiting to see it. Let's just do it. Um, right. And if we think someone's going to fall off, why are we drafting them? Um, and I, I love everything you put. What I love about it is that I don't even agree on the players that you said. I, I wrote this, like I keep citing my article, but it's fresh in my mind where I did this <laughs> whole thing about tier drafting. And I talked about these archetypes and I said, I was like, here are my, here are my archetypes. And I'm explaining this based on how I view them. I was like, whether you think that the criteria I've chosen for these archetypes makes sense or whether you would sort the players in the same archetypes. That's your call. I don't care if you view in the same way, but like, here's how about I'm going and drafting based on, on these players going in these. And like, to me, I think that Alan Lazard is like not a guy that particularly as I see like, but if you do, 
then yes, you should you should draft him, right? It's, just, it's the same I'm thing that I was just fan. saying about like about and that too. It's the same thing that I was saying about like <laughs> Gabe Davis. It's like if you're saying I'm out on Gabe Davis, that's fine. I'm not saying you can't be out on Gabe Davis. I, I'm more like interested in the why you're out on Gabe Davis or the why you're in on Alan Lazard or whatever. Like if someone tells me I'm in on Alan Lazard because he was wide receiver 44 last year and now Devontae Adams is gone. So it'll probably be like top 36. I'm like, then I think you're missing the point. If you're going to tell me you think Alan Lazard has a chance to be, you know, a, a high end wide receiver two this year because of, um, you know, whatever particular reason you have that's driving that. Uh, sure. Go for it. I, and, I, and I'm behind that. So really fun one. I, I think the way I always view the way I would view it. I think if you like try to wrap your head around this a little bit with ADP is like, don't view ADP in terms of like a lowering bar that you have to clear, right? The idea shouldn't be if I draft 10 guys and I slightly beat like my round one is a little better than one and two is a little better than two and three is a little better than two, three and so on and so on and so on. Don't think about it that way. Think about it instead as you have a number of bets with slightly with reduced likelihood on each of producing a league winner. You only, you get 18 shots in, in an underdog. Otherwise you get however many your league has. You have 18 shots of drafting league winners, right? And your, your first round choice is just the most likely to get one. And then your second round choice is the second most likely and third most likely and fourth most likely, etc. That's how I try to think about it. But I don't think about it in terms of, well, because it's now round seven, my expectations are a lot lower. Instead, it's, well, it's now just a lot less likely. So I'm going to swing for the fences, you know, more because uh, I need the market to be wrong more in order for me to get a payoff at this price point. So that's, yeah. that's how I try to think about it. Um, Billy, do you have any final thoughts for the people? Yeah. Uh, real quick. I pulled the players I pulled because I'm currently in the sleeper draft for the full tilt dynasty discord, plug the group. And, uh, and uh, I was scrolling down and I wanted to find a player that represented what I, my view of how asymmetrical asymmetrical upside is currently talked about. But I scrolled down a little bit further and I found this beautiful ladder of players in redraft ADP where I think it perfectly articulates exactly what I'm talking about. All these players currently in the sleeper format I'm looking at are drafted between 138 and 158. So we're within around a 20 picks. And those players are Christian Watson, Tyler Boyd, MVS, Jarvis Landry, Rondell Moore, Jacoby Myers, Jahan Dotson. So I think you can make a strong argument saying Christian Watson, Marquez Valdez-Scantley, Rondell Moore, Jahan Dotson, the odd numbers of that list of nine I just gave out, all have that scenario, that next level scenario, and they have varying probabilities of it, to next year be, what, what round is this? 11 to 14 or so. All, all of those players have the possibility to be sitting in those mid like seventh to fifth rounds next year. If they go out this year and have a blow up season, Tyler Boyd, Jarvis Landry, Jacoby Myers, just the way they produce and their offense, you just don't see that like that, that range of outcomes does not happen. Jarvis Landry in 2019, the same year, the same last year that Julio was, was the wide receiver 12. Then he had a wide receiver 33 season, but barely outside that wide receiver three range or inside the wide receiver three range. And then did better than Julio last year. And he's in this range. Like he is are and more healthy. Like he's in a situation 
where he's probably in just as good a situation as Julio, but we just push these players down. And there's this range here where you can look at players like Christian Watson, MVS, Rondale Moore, Jahan Dotson, who you may have pros and cons of each of these players, but those pros and cons determine what you think their next level is. And if you think all those players have a next level, where I think everyone here has different varying opinions on each of these players, if you think they have the potential to hit that next level and next year in redraft, we're talking about them in round six, you have to take them over players like Boyd, Jarvis Landry, Jacoby Myers, because you are always asking to draft a bust when you're taking those players. So that'll be my final point because I've talked too much, but <laughs> Jacob, you want to give us some closing remarks? Uh, all good. This was fun. Um, Tom, we're wishing you well, buddy. Hold it down out there. Uh, thank you uh, for, for those who, who stuck with uh, Billy and I tonight. This was a really fun talk. I think a really, really uh, fun conversation. And um, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter, FF underscore RTGB, of course. You and 10K of your closest friends. Um, you can find me in the Bulletproof Discord. Uh, you can find me in the Full Tilt Discord. You can find me in the Underdog Draft Lobby. And you can find – I actually finally wrote again, so you can find my most recent uh, article. It's pinned uh, on my Twitter account right now. I, I believe it's pinned. Is it pinned? Let me double-check. Yes, it is. Part two, my best ball strategy guide, where we talked about cost of acquisition versus opportunity cost, tier-based exposures, maximizing lineups around archetypes. Uh, and then uh, you can find me tomorrow night with Chase and Chain for Dynasty Intervention. All Billy, right. people find you? You can always find me on Twitter at BigBillyFF, not with 10K of your closest friends, but <laughs> but you can find me there. Uh, trying to think of what else I got to plug right now. I'm finally settling down after a crazy month of traveling and nonstop movement, so I'm real excited to be able to come back and start working again and being able to put time towards these projects I'm really wanting to do. Some of those I don't want to plug. Some of those we can talk about later. But I'm real excited to be back. Real excited to be back in this apartment. And uh, real excited my apartment has AC because it didn't for like three days this week. But besides all that, just glad to be back with the boys. Tom as well, wishing you well. I know you're active in the Discord, but still want to say it for the show for posterity's sake. And with that, I want to thank everyone tonight. As Tom would say, remember there's always someone on the other side of your screens. Uh, be good people. And as always, damn it, I missed, I missed the throwaway. As always, clear eyes, full hearts, can never lose, and your best days are spent tilting. Good night, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>